washing their feet. And at the conclusion of all that, he says to them, according to John, that I've done this to set an example for you. That you will go and do the same. In other words, for those things that you might have in the past thought were beneath you, or that you were too good to do, that you will do those things, that you will serve others regardless of how you are needed regardless of how you are called to serve and so today we look at the motivation behind the use of our gifts and so that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and want us to look beginning at the end of that chapter. Last week we looked at that section beginning with verse 12 where we talked about the body and its many parts and how they all have to work together, how every part is needed. But now we're skipping down to verse 29, and I'm reading today from the New Living Translation, not switching to that uh, going forward, but just reading from it today because I appreciate how uh, this translation, how how it, it comes out. So 1 Corinthians 12, beginning with verse 29, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and speaking knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. 
But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what, church? Yeah. And then continuing on into chapter 14, let love be your highest goal. Now do you see what's going on in 1 Corinthians 13? You might say, well duh, it's the love chapter, preacher. But have you ever thought of love in the context of spiritual gifts? Possibly not. But when you start reading there at the end of 12 and continue on into 14, you see that that entire chapter about love was not written in the context of, well, when the preacher stands up before everybody and before that young couple uh, to pronounce them husband and wife, I want to give them something good to read. Or, you know, that husband and wife, they need to be reminded about those vows that they took and what they really promised each other. And boy, they need to go back and be able to read 1 Corinthians 13 and look at what love really is. No. Not that any of that's a bad thing. I'm pretty sure that every single wedding I've ever officiated, I've read a portion of 1 Corinthians 13. But we see here that when Paul writes to those folks in Corinth and therefore to us today, when he writes about love, he's doing it in the context of gifts. So what church is it about these gifts? What should be our motivating factor in using our God-given gifts? It should be about love. Why are we willing to serve others? Why was Jesus willing to wash dirty, stinky feet? Because He had love in His heart for those whose feet He was washing. And He said, okay, I've set an example for you. That I loved you enough to get down on my knees and do something that y'all were uncomfortable with. You can't look at John 13 without thinking about you know, what Peter says to Jesus, No, Lord, Master, don't do this. Peter begging him, you know, it's beneath you. Do not do this. And Jesus says, well, if you don't let me do this, you can have no part with me. Jesus saying, because Peter, there's going to come a time later. He doesn't come out and say it. But we know there's coming a time later when the kingdom needs Peter to love like he's never loved before. That the kingdom needs Peter to love people that he thought he would never love. 
Peter had to figure out, I've got to go and love those Gentiles. And yes, he did love them and preach to them and baptize them eventually. And he learned to do it out of love. And so we've been talking about gifts and I put it in, I sent it out in group me, um, I guess that was early Saturday morning, the days are running together, but uh, maybe that was Friday morning, I can't remember now, but, um, but essentially I, I had, um, I, I put it on there um, in our Facebook, our, our Facebook group, that this is the address you can go to, I don't know how many of you have taken the time to do it, but please do, because we have spent four weeks now talking about spiritual gifts. And when I did this some years ago, and it was probably 2016, 2017, I talked about gifts and I pointed everyone to an app. And that app asked you something like, I don't know, 18 questions or something, and then told you what your gifts were. Uh, No, I think we need more than 18 questions or whatever that was. Uh, This will ask you over 100 questions. Now, some of you are thinking, 100 questions, Greg? Good night, nurse. What are you talking about? I kid you not. When I say it takes 15 to 20 minutes to do this, okay, I'm a slow reader. All right? Uh, And so I had someone else take it, uh, and they said that it took them maybe 10 minutes. To come up with, uh, to come up with theirs, and so uh, the beauty of this is it asks you short questions, and there's only three possible responses, and it's essentially they word it differently, but it's yes, no, maybe, okay, and this isn't something you sit and read sixteen times and ponder and pontificate and all this kind of stuff. You read it and you hit yes, no, maybe. Don't overthink it. It's go with your instincts and it is going to give you my number one spiritual gift according to this inventory is shepherding. I don't know what a perfect score is. I'm thinking a 25. Okay, I scored a 23. Scores don't matter. Um, But shepherding is my number one. Exhortation, okay, speaking, is my number two. And then for three, I had a tie between teaching and mercy. Okay, serving was dead last for me. Okay, serving was dead last for me. But do you think in my almost 55 years that I've ever served anyone? pretty sure I have. So just because it's not in your top three doesn't mean you can't do it, okay? Some of you may have been teaching for 20 years, and teaching may be fourth or fifth for you, okay? That doesn't mean we're going to say, ah, you can't teach anymore because you're not highly gifted enough in that regard. No! It's, it's, it's like we've talked about. Because one week I read a Christian author who said, there's nothing magical about this, that we can tend to over-spiritualize our gifts. Like we just sit there and hold our hands and say, God, show me my gifts. No, it's going where you're needed, going where you think you can be useful. And sometimes it's even saying, I'm not good at that, but I'd like to be. And you set out working in that direction. The first time I taught, I'm pretty sure I was stinking awful at it. But I kept on doing it. And I remember starting 
in Kentucky with a junior high Sunday school class. And let me tell you, some of those middle schoolers will eat you alive. I am not kidding about that. All it takes is one precocious deacon's daughter, and man, I mean, they will just eat your lunch if you don't bring your A-game every Sunday morning. And so they, you know, kept me on my toes. And so you better believe I learned to be prepared. And I've told the story before about I was so nervous. You know, we're talking 6th, 7th, 8th graders, and I was so nervous that, you know, I was wearing a sport jacket back then, and I was just dripping with sweat all the way down my sides when I got finished with that class. But eventually, it got better. I'm pretty sure when I started preaching, it wasn't the greatest sermon anybody had ever heard. It's still not, I'm sure. But I at least got to where I could get up in the morning and on Sunday morning and didn't feel like I was going to throw up. I only took about six years to get beyond that. But yeah, because there are things that we're called to do and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. And I'm okay with that. As I've said before, it's worth repeating. I don't think there was anything about being nailed to a cross that was easy or comfortable for Christ Jesus. But he was willing to do it for every single one of us and every single one of them in all of humanity. Right, church? And so, you know, evangelism didn't even make my top four. But I know that I have evangelized. I know that I have led people to the Lord. I baptized two young men at Lewis County Jail Saturday morning that I had nothing to do with bringing them to the Lord. That was 100% Yogi Spears on that one. And if Yogi Spears were standing here today, he would say, glory to God. But I was just needed because it's a concrete floor and you got to get down on your knees and Yogi's like, I'm beyond that. And we get that. Someday I'm going to be in my what, 80s, I guess, and it's not going to be easy for me to get on my knees to baptize somebody. And so I'm going to call in somebody 20, 30, whatever years my junior. But I do encourage you to take the time, take that 10, 15, 20 minutes to go online and take that survey because it might reveal something in you that surprises you. It just might show you, based on how you answer those questions, that you have gifts that you can use for God's kingdom and to God's glory that you've never even considered. And so I hope you will do that. Now, uh, as we think about it all being about gifts, uh, something I want to mention is the idea that we can be excluded from kingdom service because of our past. Now in Galatians 5, 
there's a well-known couple of verses there that we know is the fruit of the Spirit. Well, but before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, Paul gives us another list, and it's what we might call the bad list. He tells us the good stuff that comes from the Spirit. But before that, he lists in Galatians 5 that stuff that is part of some people's human nature that we should not do. So Galatians 5, 19-21, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, which dissension, it's a fancy word that means not getting along with people, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we hear that list, don't we? And it concludes there. But they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then where does he go from there? Right into, but... The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in keeping with our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now I want to go back to the end of verse 21 there. Let me tell you again, as I had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't say anyone who has lived, past tense, right church? That anyone who has lived that life. Because when we have a true encounter with Christ Jesus, when we are really living for Him, and then we start to bear that fruit of the Spirit, Things that come unnatural for most of us. Attributes that are at odds. They go against the grain of our human selfish nature. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, let me say again... Your past behavior, your past sin, does not prevent you from using your God-given gifts to glorify God's kingdom and to serve His church today. Okay, church? Your past does not define you. You are who you are today. Now, I came across an article. Okay, I didn't come across an article. My, uh, my wife sent it to me. So, I came across an article in my inbox or uh, that after my wife sent it to me. But, uh, this is from a website called Game Rant. And the author titled this piece, Fighting with Kindness, Is Empathy the Biggest New Movie Superpower? 
And he says, most action stars solve problems with their fists, but the biggest movie heroes these days prefer a kinder approach. The question is why? And I'm going to read just some little excerpts from this article, because it's several pages, but as I printed it out. But he says, most action-adventure movies, be they of the sci-fi, fantasy, or superhero variety, typically end the same way. The hero defeats the villain and saves the day using some combination of strength, skill, cunning, and determination. However, many of the most popular movies from the past year or so have broken away from that trend. These days, it's becoming something of a recurring theme in popular movies for the central conflict of the film to be, to be resolved not through force, but through compassion. It's a notable departure from the usual formula of action-packed movie climaxes, but it consistently resonates with audiences in ways that a more traditional story wouldn't. And then he goes on to write. Bear with me as I flip my pages to find my marked spots. Uh, well, there's no single film that can be singled out as the source of this trend. One of the earliest major examples is Spider-Man No Way Home. And then he goes on to say, in No Way Home, what sets Spider-Man apart from his fellow heroes is his determination to save everyone, even those who seem beyond saving. This emphasis on empathy would continue across nearly all of 2022's superhero films. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, all feature antagonists who are defeated not through brute force, like in most Marvel movies, but by the hero appealing to their humanity. Even the Batman, as dark and gritty as it is, is ultimately a story about how hope and kindness are stronger than fear and vengeance. Animated movies are no exception to this trend either. In both Disney's Encanto and Pixar's Turning Red, the conflict is caused not by any villainous scheme, but by a broken family in need of reconciliation. You ever had broken relationships, church? Broken relationships that need to be put back together? That's what he's talking about here. Most action adventure... Well, I'm sorry. About to repeat that myself. And then he mentions in one film, one that I'd never heard of, called Everything Everywhere All at Once. A character named Raymond declares uh, that we need to be kind. And he says, you tell me it's a cruel world. I know that. I've been on the earth, this earth just as many days as you. When I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being naive. It is strategic and necessary. It's how I've learned to survive through everything. This is how I fight. And he says, so far the 2020s have been defined by a global pandemic, intense political polarization, and ever-growing concerns over the environment, the economy, and bigotry, just to name a few. In a time when people feel more alienated and alone than ever, it's no wonder that they'll want relief from all their pain and fear of the world. 
As such, it's no surprise that so many storytellers have channeled the anxieties of the 2020s into a different kind of story. The biggest movies of the new decade aren't glorifying violence with snarky, self-aware dialogue. They're sincere, heartfelt, and show that true strength comes from kindness. Right, church? One of the fruits of the Spirit. Because it's by lifting each other up that we find the strength to get through life's struggles. And it's our love for one another that gives us hope when we need it most. Amen, church? And so, Proud Dad Moment, that was written by my son. Yeah. Looking through his Christian lens at secular media and being able to write that article about how there's been a change, there's been a shift, that there's a different trend. And church family, if Hollywood, who can often be as unchristian as it gets, is buying into this idea that the world needs more love and more compassion and more kindness. And they're spending millions and millions of dollars to produce films that show that. Doesn't that only heighten our awareness that that's what the world is needing? The world needs our gifts. The gifts that God has given us. And that we're we're using them to love and to serve others in the name of love. Motivated by love. I conclude today with Romans chapter 13 beginning with verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So church family, we are reminded once again that even as we talk about something as particular as the gifts that God has given us in which for which to serve others, we are reminded of how key it is that we love those we're serving. That it all comes back to love. As Jesus summed up, that he said all the law and the prophets hinge on these things. That we love God and that we love others. And so we conclude our time together and we offer this invitation. That if you're with us this morning and you have not yet put on Christ in baptism, that we give you the opportunity to come forward and to say one thing and one thing only, that you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we make the waters of baptism available to you to change your life forever. 
you're with us this morning and you've got some need that's weighing on you, that you need the prayers of this body, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well, that you can come, express that concern to us, and we'll take the time to pray with you over that need. Let's stand together and sing.